0: Life
1: is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
2: of a detour.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamina Jamil. I hope you're well. I'm alright. I, I had a slightly annoying week. <laughs> Not bad at all. In fact, wonderful. But just, I'm... I'm i'm frustrated so uh on sunday the emmys were on and i decided to get all dressed up with literally nowhere to go cuz <laughs> the emmys were happening virtually so i sat in my pajamas and thought i'll just do a full hair and makeup and i'll do it with everyone on instagram so i posted a picture of me straight out the shower wet hair no makeup just letting everyone know it's going to happen and i was inundated with with lovely comments about my you know my skin being clear and it's not something i prioritize about myself i sometimes have clear skin i often don't it really depends on my digestive system and my hormones as with many people in the world uh, but there were so many comments of like girls kind of doing a you know just like a funny kind of cry face of why is her skin so clear i wish my skin looked like that that i was kind of like i should probably say something So to one of the girls who mentioned how how clear my skin was, I just said, basically, my skin is currently clear because privileged people have more access to good quality nutrition and also our lives are significantly less stressful than the lives of those with less privilege. I also get to sleep more because of this. All these things keep my hormones in balance and I'm also able to address food intolerances easily. And then I also said, well, B, I believe that trans rights are human rights and C, I exfoliate twice a week, right? So I, I really just meant nothing condescending or bad with this comment. I only met, and it was also met with just so much love and so much, you know, just so many sweet DMs. Uh, And I, I think it was important to say because we don't talk about this, especially when it comes to the beauty industry. We don't talk about the fact that the people we are supposed to live up to are... Have all this help, I mean, aside from just the amount of airbrushing and Photoshop that they use, even in like anti-aging cream adverts, which shouldn't be fucking legal. That's insane that you're allowed to uh, use airbrushing on foundations or anything to do with the skin. Literal false advertising. But on top of that, these people have nutritionists, they have healthcare providers, they have, you know, I don't know, uh, skincare people who do all kinds of peels and prods and facials, etc., and and they're also not working four jobs to raise four children on four hours sleep these all these these things all make a massive impact on the way that your skin is going to feel and look sometimes of course some people just have you know genetics involved but many of us live far less stressful lives than most because of privilege. And so the whole setup of this industry that deliberately never talks about this, because transparency would ruin the sales of just quick, quick fix nonsense products, you know, like the ones that get rid of cellulite or anti-aging creams, most of which are just bullshit. They deliberately don't let you know, don't let you in on all of the stuff that happens behind the scenes before a celebrity comes to you presenting perfectly or whatever, or whatever we deem as societally perfect at the moment. And then they sell you this simple product and they're like, all you need to do is just use this cream and you'll look exactly like me. Bullshit! That is bullshit! No one single product is likely to ever be able to completely make up for all of the teams that help them look the way that they do. So I really just enjoy consistently pulling back the curtain and just saying, this is, this is what's actually going on. So thank you. Loveliest response. One of the loveliest responses to anything I've I've ever, ever done from women, from men on Twitter and in my DMs there have been, it's been an onslaught of abuse of people being like, oh, shut up, or just take the compliment compliment or say, stop bragging about how much privilege you have. I'm not fucking bragging. It's no secret that I have privilege. I'm a fucking actress. It is so frustrating and boring and short-sighted for them to try to silence anyone who breaks the myth who interrupts the myth of beauty, of how women look, or detaches from the fantasy, or someone just being honest or having integrity, like the vitriol it inspires. It just made me feel so sad about the kind of state of affairs that we still insinuate that there is so much just manipulation behind everything a woman does I'm not out for anyone to trust my intention. The amount of people kind of reading into my tone as condescending or deciding my intentions for me, people who have never met me or who don't even follow me, don't even know anything about me. It's just such a sign that as... As a society, we haven't moved as far as we can when it comes to misogyny and this just like inherent mistrust of women that, you know, started back in the Garden of Eden. You know, bloody Eve, bloody Eve, dragging Adam off course, ruining everything for everyone. You know, I've, I've said this before, but we don't have the benefit of the doubt left for women because we've spent it all on men. And I really felt that and saw that in the last couple of. Days in just the disgusting way I've been spoken to about really what was my intention to just have an honest, transparent conversation with a teenager who was being really sweet about my skin. So, anyway, it didn't, it hasn't gotten to me that much. It just made me feel a bit bummed out about how suspicious even women can be of other women and how much work we all have to do to just kind of wonder to ourselves why do we find it so grating when someone's trying to help and why when they do try to help do we have to nitpick the way in which we are helping i'm not saying you can't criticize we must criticize but why do we only nitpick the way that they're doing it rather than ever zoom out to realize what is the bigger impact of their action who is it designed for and is it helping those people I'm fucking glad I said it because it made loads of people feel better and I'm glad to blow all bullshit out the window. Speaking of misogyny, on today's episode, I am talking to the queen of the fight against the patriarchy or at least one of many queens of the fight against patriarchy. She's someone I've looked up to for the longest time and I admire so much. She's had such an interesting career full of so many fascinating shifts and so many moments of great accountability and public growth and she has been through so much when it comes to people always again doubting her intentions, insinuating that she must be wrong and evil and bad and dangerous And she's just muscled through all the way into her 80s, consistently spending about six decades fighting for the rights of women. She is one of the leading white feminists to ever remind everyone that black women are at the forefront of feminism and that we don't need to bring white feminism to black women. White feminists need to join black feminists who are where it's at. She was saying this decades ago, long before this year where people are starting to wake up. She is, she's someone who sometimes, sometimes I have not always entirely agreed with, but I think that's also a beautiful part of our friendship. I've, uh, I've gotten to know her over the last year since she's, you know, booked me to moderate a couple of things for her. And I almost, in fact, you know, oh my God, I, I was interviewing her on stage at a big, that the Ace Theatre in Los Angeles. And this is really embarrassing, but as we were walking on stage, and you know, I had to, she asked me if she could hold onto my arm because she's in need of a little bit of assistance. She's in her 80s. So she's like, May I hold your arm? And I was like, Yes. I was so nervous. I'd only just met her, I'd looked up to this woman for so long. And as we were walking onto the stage in front of 2,000 people, I let out a fart. I farted. While holding Gloria Steinem's hand. Oh, sorry. Yes, it's Gloria Steinem. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> that, that's the guest. I can't believe it. Gloria Steinem's on my podcast. But yeah, so I'm holding Gloria Steinem's hand and I let out a cheeky little fart. And it it smells. It makes itself known. It's not loud it has a presence of sorts. And then we go and we sit down and we just do the interview. And I spend at least 40 minutes of the interview before finally just admitting on stage that it was me, because there's a part of me that was hoping she might think it was her (laughs) (laughs) or just not notice it or smell it at all. Uh, But she did. And uh, she was very gracious about it. And that was my first ever meeting with Gloria Steinem. (laughs) So (laughs) that was cool. But that's what happens when I get very, very nervous. And I'm instantly regretting telling any of you that story. I don't know if it's worth it, but oh, I'm sweating. Um, anyway, she talks to me in this episode about her extraordinary career, all of the lessons that she has learned, the mistakes that she's made and overcome, the things that she is still learning about. You know, we have some Different stances on how to protect sex workers and how to move forward as allies of the sex worker community, because we both care about them, but our approaches are slightly different. And we kind of get into that on the podcast. And just generally, what a rare life story. What a rare human being. What a level of stoicism and survival. Uh, this woman, I mean, she's even this year, had the pandemic not happened, she was going to get on a bus and go around all of the swing states in America and start campaigning for feminism and for people to to stop engaging in patriarchy and misogyny and all of the bigotry that we are seeing in the world right now. And so I'm thrilled to know her. I'm so honoured that she's on my podcast and I'm so, so sorry that I've kind of farted on her and then hope that she'd blame herself. So... <laughs> On that note, (laughs) here is the absolutely extraordinary, iconic and kind and generous Gloria Bloody Steinem. Gloria Steinem. You are an activist, an author, and one of the truly, truly the greatest feminists of all time. And it's an honor to have you here at the Iway podcast. Thank you for joining me.
2: It's it's a great honor to hear you say that, but I am not the greatest feminist of all time. (laughs) Uh, I'm very lucky because I get to do what I love and really Mm. care about. And that's a gift.
1: It is indeed. And I think what I have grown to find so inspiring about you uh, in my own work is not only the way that you make sure to center the work of other people, uh, the way that you admit that you are fallible and you will apologize for your mistakes or the things that you do not yet know. Uh, you are always open to learning. I mean, even when we sat down together at the Ace Hotel and I moderated your book launch, you were talking to me about how during the audience Q&A, you hope to learn from the audience
2: mm, rather than that's just the teach great them. Gift of yeah. of the discussion time after any lecture or any talking circle it's a gift i mean we don't learn from sameness we don't mm-hmm. learn
1: from echo chambers
2: while we're talking we mm. learn while we're listening
1: yeah absolutely and also it's your sustained devotion to the cause that i think makes you so inspiring to me because i can say now from my experience of i've been an activist for about 14 years but it's really been the last 3 years that i've been in the middle of mainstream scrutiny, and it is a very exhausting and taxing uh, existence. It's a hundred percent worth it, hundred and ten percent worth it, and it's it's not it's vital, and it feels like more of a a duty than anything else. But it is exhausting, and I don't know how the fuck
2: <laughs> you managed to <laughs> exist well, it, it's through exhausting. decades of it. It's exhausting, but I think it does get a little better because people believe you more as you continue to be in the same place if you know what i mean yeah so um or maybe you just wear them down i don't know but i i do think that trust is a very important feeling and Mm -hmm. when you've been consistent for quite a long time people are more likely to trust you
1: Mm -hmm. and i know that people doubted you a lot especially in the beginning and sometimes people would say that you were too attractive to possibly be allowed to engage in feminist discussion uh and well
2: the the hurtful thing was that I was only being successful or recognized to the degree that I was because of my looks but if you hang in there long enough you get old and then they can't say that anymore
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for whatever it's worth, I think you still look bloody great, uh, but I, I do hear what you're saying. I think it's also, you know, because they can't kill us anymore, uh, they like to just discredit us, and that seems to be the weapon used against mm-hmm. women now. It's more insidious. Well, there, there,
2: there was one woman I remember who, who stood up in an audience and kind of saved my life by by saying, it's important that somebody who can win the game and win says the game isn't worth shit. I said, oh, thank you. Now I have a function. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well,
1: thank you for being here today just to educate me and all of our, all of our listeners. I um, make this podcast and I guess the movement that I have, which is called I Weigh, is about shame. And it's about all the different types of shame that we have. Shame is something that I think has seeded in us from the outside. And it's something that we sometimes tend to grow and water and feed ourselves until it kind of devours us whole. And um, to, I mean, there are so many different types of shame that I know that you have fought on behalf of other women and for those who aren't given the platform that you are given. But uh, one of the ones I think this year that is the most important to discuss is the shame around abortion and I know that this is something that is close to your heart and something that you care a lot about and this is certainly the year that we need to be the most aggressive in fighting for the rights of pro-choice because we're rolling backwards in a way that I just didn't mm-hmm. anticipate now and I'm sure in your lifetime having had to yourself have an illegal abortion and then because it was outlawed and then watch the law change pro-abortion or pro-choice at least and now have it rolled back in 2020 must be quite shocking mm. to you.
2: Well, it, it is and it isn't. I think that I now finally have realized that that controlling reproduction is the first step in every authoritarian regime. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it was National Socialism in Hitler's Germany or whether it is uh, the Catholic Church or what, any hierarchy starts with controlling reproduction because we have wombs, you Mm -hmm. know, and and we happen to have a monopoly on wombs, then the control of our bodies becomes representative of that first step.
1: Something that I think is important is more of us coming out and sharing our abortion stories because we are facing an influx, like I've never seen, of misinformation around abortion, um, shaming, they're now starting to, you know, post more and more pictures of, of, of fetus at three weeks and six weeks and it's got, you know, like a bow tie on and uh, <laughs> a beard and uh, you know, a job. It's got a W-9. Um, and so all this misinformation about how developed the, fe- the fetus is and how the heartbeat means that that is a sentient being. And therefore its life is almost more important than yours. This is the information that's going out mm-hmm. there, and how terrible you are, and all these, these false, uh, these false reports about all the mental health statistics that happen to women uh, after they've, or those who've had abortions um, after they've done the, had the abortion, that they then face like depression, suicidal mm. thoughts, anxiety. No, it's quite the contrary. No, it's relief. Relief is the overwhelming impact and side effect. And of the abortion. depression
2: comes from being forced into a role that you didn't choose.
1: Yeah, forced birth is what would cause depression in and. Many people that I know of who had babies that they were just too afraid to not have. And it's amazing to me how they underestimate it. They're just like, well, then just give it away as though that's easy. You go through 10 months of creating a baby, your health changes, your hormones change, your bodies change, your life changes, it perhaps derails your entire career and the, you know your relationship with the world as it is. And then you're supposed to... You'd naturally develop often a chemical bond with this creature and then you're supposed to just cast it off into an imperfect system. Foster care can be brilliant and foster parents can be amazing. But there can also be terrible trauma stories that come from being in foster care, both for the person who had to give up the baby and for the baby Mm -hmm. itself.
2: No, it's... Unless we control our bodies from the skin in, we can't control our lives from the skin out. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just... It's not possible. And and uh, it always makes me think of the great Irish woman taxi driver who turned around to Flo Kennedy and me and said, as we were having a discussion just like you and I mm-hmm. are now, and said, honey, if men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. Mm-hmm. I mean, it you know, it's, it's a question of, of control. I mean, of course, it's the basis of democracy, of, of just common sense that each of us has to have control of our own bodies and voices
1: i agree and then the argument against that is well the fetus isn't being given democracy it's like well the fetus hasn't been here all this time no but as long been, <laughs> no but
2: as long as long as as the fetus is dependent on our blood circulation heart lungs you know if, then we have obvious right and need to decide how our body is being used. Absolutely.
1: I completely agree. Um, I, uh, I'm i glad that you spoke out about having had your own abortion. Do you mind me asking you about it, what mm, the no, no, not circumstances at all. were? Was it an emergency? Or was it was just a decision you made because you weren't ready for a child?
2: No, I, I had uh, graduated from college mm-hmm. and was engaged to a very, very nice man who I knew I shouldn't marry. It wouldn't be good for either one of us. Right. <laughs> so, I um, was offered a fellowship to India. So I fled to <laughs> India, where I eventually lived for two years. Mm-hmm. And while I was waiting for my visa in London, I realized that I was pregnant, and I did not have a clue what to do. You know, I mean, I thought, oh, I should go horseback riding in the park, or <laughs> I should throw myself downstairs, or, you know, I had not a All clue. All these ways to
1: risk your life. <laughs>
2: right. Um, and it wasn't legal at the time. And it wasn't legal, no. <clears throat> Actually, in London, it was a slightly easier, because if you could prove that your life was at stake, you could have a legal right. abortion, which wasn't true, even even that was not true. In this. <clears throat> but I didn't know that. Um and I kept thinking, well, I'll go to Paris. I thought certainly Paris was like a you know liberal city, not realizing it was a Catholic city. I mean, I hadn't an idea. Mm-hmm. But I went to a party given by an, a terrible American playwright whose play was so terrible he couldn't get it done in New York. And he had to go to London to get it right. <laughs> and and. Uh, And he was busily complaining about the fact that two of the women in the cast, he had to find abortions for before the play opened. And he was bitterly complaining. So my ears perked right up. And in that way, I discovered that it was possible. So I went home and looked in what would be the yellow pages, what Mm -hmm. we would call. And I found the name of a doctor near where I was staying with friends. And I went to see him. And he said, you know, Uh, you know this is a risk, you know it's illegal and so on. But if you promise me that you will never tell anyone my name and that you will do what you want to do with your life, I will sign the permission, you know. I love that. Yeah. And so he did it? He did it, yes.
1: And how did you feel afterwards?
2: Uh, I, you know, I tried to... I've I tried to dredge up some feeling of guilt, but I couldn't. Same, I mean, right? I was just I just felt free and and uh, grateful to him and celebratory that I had my life back and that I could get on the plane and you know go to to India and go on with my life. No, I. Even, even, even in those days when you were supposed to feel guilty, so you tried very hard to make yourself feel mm-hmm. guilty. I couldn't. I couldn't.
1: I, I almost felt like I had to pretend to feel guilty for the people around me. Uh, I had to pretend to be more traumatized by it than I was. I'm lucky that I was able to achieve a, a not to achieve. I was lucky that I was able to access a uh, legal abortion that was in a proper clinic where I wasn't hidden away or anything. And uh, I was able to be unconscious during it. So it really kind of felt like it almost didn't happen. And there was no pain afterwards. But I just felt relieved. And and since then, I've continued to feel relief. And I don't think it's the act that makes us feel guilty. I think
2: it's our society. Well, in any case, I mean, perhaps some people feel guilty and some don't. But the important thing is to be able to be honest about whatever it is we feel. Yes. Yes. I agree. I mean, that, that's the whole, the whole point. Mm-hmm. It it's it it means something different, perhaps, in the lives of different people. But the important thing is to be able to tell our own stories honestly.
1: I agree, and one of the reasons that I spoke out about mine, you know, similarly with yours, is that it wasn't a decision of my life wasn't in any danger, my health wasn't in any danger. I just knew that I was mentally ill. I was not financially stable enough to really have a baby and comfort, I wasn't mentally well enough to do it, mentally stable, I wasn't emotionally stable, I wasn't in the right relationship with someone that I could count on for the support that I would need and I didn't want children. So naturally, you can tend to resent someone that deprives you of sleep for several years after it's born. But if you really don't want that in your life, I don't think that that's a necessary thing for you to have to derail
2: your existence for. It's like, you know, just because we all have wombs doesn't mean we have to be mothers. Just like we all have vocal cords doesn't mean we're all opera singers. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I'm not sure if I will ever want children. It's still something that I feel uncertain about. And that makes me feel doubly happy that eight years ago I made that decision, considering I still don't feel that maternal urge yet. Um, And I really talk about it so casually, not because I'm trying to rile anyone up, not because I'm trying to dismiss this as as something that isn't a big decision. I know it is. But because I think we need more stories of women doing it, not because of an emergency, but sometimes just because, A, they could, they had the right to, and be because that was what was best for them. And our needs are never prioritized in no, any circumstance. No, no
2: it's crucial. And, and also nature aborts, what, about a third of all pregnancies anyway. You mm-hmm. know, it isn't as if every fertilized egg, even in the eyes of nature, uh, you know, be, progresses.
1: And the laws that they're trying to bring in now in Alabama are that if nature were to perhaps... Uh, create a miscarriage in you, but you happen to have maybe smoked some marijuana within a couple of days of that happening, then you can be done. You can be charged. Yeah, well, th-
2: that's just all an excuse Insanity. to control us and control reproduction. They're just all elaborate excuses, you know, taking away clinics or um, closing them, you know, except for one day a week or propagandizing. It's just all a way of taking the first step in an authoritarian regime which is controlling women's bodies to control reproduction.
1: I remember you talking about how Hitler used abortion. That was one of the first things that he implemented in his regime was abortion being banned <clears> of <throat> yes, white he, Aryan.
2: <clears throat> excuse me. People. Yes, he, he, uh, th- among his first acts after he was elected was to padlock all the family planning clinics mm-hmm. and declare abortion a crime against the state uh, with a death penalty for the doctor and prison for the woman, because now we're talking about Aryan women, of mm-hmm. course, uh, then if in prison they could be forcibly, uh, they could be forced to have children. And he was about reproducing the Aryan race, even though he was the least Aryan looking guy you've ever seen.
1: I know. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. I, um, I also know that there are dark histories with abortion in America, where you know there were certain people who were pro-abortion just of people of color and that history is kind of now <coughs> well, being brought back up but I feel like that has now been reversed but it
2: was both things yeah. uh, it, it, both things because uh, it was important to slave owners that their slaves have children mm-hmm. because they were property mm-hmm. so whichever way it went it was about control
1: mm-hmm. oh, so, for
2: sure. so, so women in slavery were also forced to have children
1: okay I'm just going to stop you there and we're going to go to a little break Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first
0: month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because...
1: you are someone who said before that uh, after a kind of win or a success for the oppressed is when the oppression doubles down.
2: Well, after any victory, there's a backlash. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, a dangerous time right, and I af- think, right after a victory.
1: And I think like post Me Too, post Time's Up, like post Black Lives Matter, like post these movements coming but up. But we're and, not
2: post yet, though. No,
1: I know. <laughs> what I'm saying is that post the emergent, like the uh, the those post those movements emerging and becoming mainstream and all of us talking about it and becoming galvanized about it and suddenly you have women speaking out in a way that we haven't seen in a very long time In the, on this scale. They're now doubling down with misinformation and mass shaming. And I wonder, knowing that a lot of women uh, or people with uteruses who follow me um, do so because of the fact that I champion the right to have an abortion, I wonder what your words of advice would be to anyone who's listening to this today who is struggling with the shame around abortion that they've inherited from our society Mm -hmm.
2: there's no reason on earth that you should have this shame it is your absolute right to make decisions over your own body and the people who tell you otherwise should be ashamed yeah i
1: agree um, another thing that has come up this year, you know, within the feminist agenda of the things that we are discussing, we're discussing a lot about race, which is incredibly <clears throat> important, a lot about abortion and abortion rights, and also sex work is something that has come up as a topic that I see more and more in the mainstream. And, it's, and, and we're having more and more people uh, with big platforms speak out about their opinions on the matter. And it feels as though feminism is sort of, divided as ever it is I'm sure on every cause but feminists are very divided currently on this subject and it's something that I wanted to discuss with you because I'd like to learn from you and also I myself am learning from uh, people who come from an existence that I don't personally experience and I hear their stories and I kind of want to work out with you a way to benefit everyone now where do you stand currently on the
2: sex work (coughs) industry well I mean obviously we as we were just saying, we have a right to use our own bodies exactly. anyway. Uh, and the question is, is it free will or not uh, it's It's interesting because when I first started to think about this, which was decades ago, um, I thought and Flo Kennedy, my teacher and comrade, and so on, we all thought sex work was a great phrase, and people work sex workers work like any other work. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, And then we went to Las Vegas, to Nevada, which has the one county in this country in which it's legal. Mm -hmm. And what was happening there was that because it was work like any other, women were being forced off welfare and into it. In other words, if you call it work and you don't do it, you can be be deprived of, of, of unemployment, welfare and other benefits. So suddenly, I began to realize that there were consequences of of language in in this case. Then the the same thing happened in Germany mm-hmm. and in Holland, uh, where calling it work meant if you didn't do it, you didn't get unemployment or you didn't get if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, there we just it doesn't mean we have to change our language but it doesn't mean we have to think about the legal meaning of 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 work mm-hmm. if you see what i mean um and then also the question of uh whether the people in it are, are in it as by free will or not because actually most are not most are trafficked uh most are very young girls who have been trafficked um uh, and uh who are totally controlled and whose life expectancy is less than a man in combat. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 in other words, there's no, you have to look at the individual situation. I think there's no single uh, answer. You have to look at the truth that is being lived.
1: I agree. I agree. And I understand, you know, I I know that a lot of women, um, a lot of feminists support the Nordic model. And I understand, I see there's there is a lot of logic within the Nordic model that would fight against sex trafficking. But the problem that we're finding I guess is that we're leaving out some people who aren't necessarily trafficked into sex work. Uh, obviously there are some people who choose sex work and that is their right and no, they're but, doing what they do with their that, body. The but the
2: Nordic model does include them because it says that is their right and, for sure. and it decriminalizes it decriminalizes 100%. the prostituted person.
1: A hundred percent and that's something that I support massively. I support the decriminalization of sex work um, sex workers. Uh, but then you have people who aren't trafficked, who choose to be in sex work, or there are some people who wouldn't necessarily choose to be in sex work, but because perhaps they are black or because they are trans or well, black it's, and it's trans. it's mostly
2: economic need. I mean, exactly. people don't get up in the... You know, little girls don't say, I dream of being a... <laughs> or boys. You know, I, it's it It mostly has to do with economic need. And, sure. and and actually, all the... Uh, across Europe, the, it's, nothing is perfect. No law can make sense of inequality mm-hmm. and lack of power, lack of equal power. Uh, and neither can the Nordic model. It's been ad- adapted throughout Europe and also in South Korea and many other places because it's the, the most practical, because it does decriminalize the prostituted person.
1: Absolutely. But then it still criminalizes the person who is soliciting the sex
2: it doesn't criminalize it penalizes in right. other words they're not sent to prison they're fined they're fined <laughs> okay so
1: is so the problem the only issue that i know that sex workers are having with with penalizing uh the Customer. The right. customer, let's say, is the fact that then that sends the customer further underground and it's harder to be able to meet the customer out and about to screen the customer. Uh, it is harder to be able to find housing because you are unable to have a... Another sex worker with you to keep you safe in a situation with a customer, because if there's more than one sex worker on the premises, then that premise is considered a brothel, and therefore either one sex worker can be considered the pimp, and then they can be criminal. They can be charged. I think that's correct.
2: I don't know from
1: from what I've been reading. That's that's a
2: very specific situation. This is just within New yeah. York
1: where we're sitting currently. This is something that I've only just started learning about from studying with Decrim. Uh, Decrim New York, uh, a an organisation trying to decriminalise sex workers. So the the issue with penalising the customer, I'm 100% up for criminalising the pimp or the person who is in charge of the money or anything to do with the life of the sex worker. I believe that sex work should be available to those who need it uh, as a means to survive. Um, But, and I I disagree with the concept of a pimp, I think they should be allowed to work just like a hair and makeup artist where they should be able to freelance from their own house or from their own kitchen. Um, But by having the person who is looking for the sex, by having the customer put in a position where they are being penalised and maybe their name can go on any kind of record, that is going to send them further underground. And that seems to be putting sex workers in a more dangerous situation.
2: It's interesting that the, it's the sex workers that are complaining, not the not the Johns. I well, I'm sure the Johns <laughs> are, but the Johns don't want to admit that they're the Johns. Don't want to get penalized. Well, the, the Johns just have to get together and have a lobby. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I mean it's it's you know they can't expect everybody else to work on their behalf. They have to speak up. You know, it's only the studies say that it's about 16% of men in this mm-hmm. country uh who who ha- have ever gone to a prostitute.
1: Well, those are the ones who've ever admitted to it. Like I'm sh- I'm sure you know, you asked me yesterday when we were on the phone, like, do I know any men who've gone to a sex worker? And I was like, no. But also, there's I mean, loads okay, but, they don't tell okay, but
2: two, me. God knows. But two, the two of us are sitting here. Yeah. And we're pretty sure that the men in our lives, and there have been a fair number of men in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we're, we're not, We're not so desperate that they had to pay for sex.
1: No, but some people are so desperate that they have to pay for sex for various reasons. They're not all creeps with vans I think there are some people who are socially anxious or some people who are not good with, maybe not good at sex and therefore afraid of trying to have sex and there are some people (laughs) who have disabilities. Well it's nice of you to
2: speak up on behalf of people you don't know, it's very generous.
1: Look, I'm aware of how (laughs) it must be coming across but I also just think it's a valid conversation. Just to explore because I think it's also really important for us to be able to show that two feminists with like slightly different views on something can just enter
2: discourse so So I
1: also think there are people with disabilities who within a culture that like discriminates against disability uh, throughout the media and society but there are lots of women with disabilities too no I know but also women can sometimes hire the sex work of a man there are male sex workers. I know they are disproportionately female, um, but I'm just saying that sometimes that male male escorts
2: and male uh, prostitutes, I guess, exist in this world. And so it seems to be are, more about dancing, in my experience. It's uh, women <laughs> women like to be taken dancing,
1: right? Well, <laughs> either way, there are people who do have a desire to be able to attain sex that they may not be able to socially get, and if there are other people who are willing to provide that service i think that's fine it's the pimp that i have the problem with and it's the fear that that we are now making it harder for us to house women who are sex workers or who people even fear might be sex workers i think if this person even has a history of sex work uh a landlord can discriminate against them and refuse to give them housing. So we are ex- we are uh, increasing homelessness. And I understand, you know, from what you were saying to me on the phone, that the reason that it's important to be protective over giving housing to a sex worker is because you don't know whether they are there with their consent or not, if they're just lying to you that it's that they are being whether or not they're being trafficked.
2: Yeah, and that's really not up to the landlord to find out. I mean, yeah. that's not a question a landlord exactly. un- understands. That has to do with trafficking and age and all kinds of other things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm just not sure we can expect legislation to reach all of these problems. And it's much more likely that we can reach them by talking to each other, helping each other, uh, trying to provide housing, to provide... Uh, support to look at individual situations which I could mean, also
1: maybe perhaps be easier if we didn't spend so much money police money and government money on trying to find and fine the johns or criminalize oh, or not criminalize or hard, i wonder if that money could put, listen, go into housing look, the look, women who are forced into Do <laughs> you think that work? much
2: money is being spent on that no i mean <laughs> are you kidding me i mean you know look look at Harvey Weinstein look at all these you know our problem is not that the police are spending money on sex crimes but that they aren't paying any attention to sex crimes mm-hmm. you know that uh, to rape as as a clear crime mm-hmm. has a very very difficult time getting prosecuted because there's just not the, enough energy money or understanding in the police department
1: I agree with you 100% that I don't want to legalize this industry because then that creates a whole other host of issues for sex workers and then can make well trafficking we, but free we, flow.
2: We don't want the people to be we don't want sex workers to be arrested. So we do exactly. want to decriminalize. Yes, yes. decriminalize is right. different
1: though to legalize. And so to decriminalize, I'm happy with that, but I just worry that if we push the customer into the underground, then we still create some sort of a black market. And that is something that I feel afraid of. We create cartels. And so that's another
2: thing that I hope. Well, you and I together are going to overturn patriarchy. Okay. And that means. <laughs> <laughs>
1: are we declaring this? Yes, now? we
2: are. And that means that gradually sex will be about cooperation, not mm-hmm. domination. I agree. And there have been and continue to be many cultures without prostitution because people are. First of all, patriarchy doesn't. Tell men that sex is about domination, mm-hmm. and also people have enough to eat without selling the invasion of their bodies. Right? That to me is a huge priority: of
1: a getting rid of a black market, and b because I don't ever see the appetite for sex work going away. As they say, it's the oldest trade in the it's world. It's not true. <laughs> I, I agree. It is,
2: it is not the oldest trade. It's not the oldest uh, profession. It's the mm-hmm. oldest oppression and it in the as far as i know <laughs> and as far as anybody i've ever talked to in the hundreds of native american cultures that were here mm-hmm. before europeans and showed up and patriarchy arrived there was not rape there was not prostitution the uh, many of the can we know for a fact there wasn't rape well, that, that's that. I've read tons of reports that you you know, uh, w- white women fled white settlements to live in Indian settlements because they were safer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it, I mean, if we learned this in school, we would have much more sense of possibility. I agree. I do always fear
1: sometimes that women a either don't know that they're allowed to speak out, so I don't always. I find the idea of a world without rape unfathomable. Uh, Why? I, because because <laughs> I can't ima- because I, mean, I cannot co- I cannot cooperation imagine. is
2: way more pleasurable than submission Oh
1: no I'm not saying that I think we should keep <laughs> rape Gloria <laughs> I'm <sorry. laughs> I was just saying that I I worry whenever we say that that something happened less that sometimes it's also just because women reported it less or women weren't taken more seriously because I Oh do no think I
2: agree with you about that I, absolutely I do, I do feel like Yes No and, and certainly with like, domestic violence exactly. that's absolutely true right? Like
1: I don't even know how much I I wonder if I can't be an authority on this but I don't even know if domestic violence has increased or if rape has increased or if women are just talking about it more because they can because they've got social media or they have social acceptance to speak out about it or they even well I think I think
2: Statistically, from the United Nations statistics Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, both things are happening. That is, women are speaking out about it more and it is counted as a crime instead of just human nature. Yes. Uh, So things are changing very, very rapidly. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there is so much cumulative violence against women, whether it's female infanticide or domestic violence Mm -hmm or clitoridectomies or, you know, all the forms of, of violence against females, that for the first time that we know of, there are now fewer females on Earth than males. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, that hasn't happened before. So that's quite scary. indeed. So w- we are at a time of...
1: So you'd wonder why they're so bloody afraid of us. That's <laughs> like <laughs> there's, there's less
2: of us than you. There's, there's, you know, we're at a time of, of both hope and danger, mm-hmm. which I think... Isn't that the uh, Chinese character yeah. for opportunity? Something like that. It's both hope and danger.
1: And so I'm sure you get asked this every day of your life. I'm sure you ask yourself this every single day of your life. I'm sure it's your waking thought. I wonder if you ever get... Hol- do you ever get holidays?
2: Uh, yes, of course I do. Okay, yeah, good. no, no. But I mean, holiday, you know, I've never actually had a job, so... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. i consider what you do a no, fucking no, job. No, no, but I mean, I've never been employed by someone. I've always been a freelance writer. Right, or yeah. F- you know, so...
1: You're able to make your own Yeah, hours.
2: so, which is very lucky. Nobody can fire me. It makes it harder to pay the rent, but still, it's a wonderful way to live. So, <laughs> so, so you know, I, the holidays... For me, are not necessarily. I love my work, so it's not necessarily free of work. Mm -hmm. It just means being with friends, and laughing, and you know, that that kind of holiday.
1: Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm trying to learn how to have the same. Uh, But I, well, Gloria, what the fuck do we do? (laughs) That's what I want to know. That's what we all want to know. Just what What, the fuck we do. Whatever we
2: fucking well please I
1: know. I agree. That should be it. (laughs) But currently, where things are starting to roll somewhat backwards, even though we are creating tremendous progress, and I don't think it's it's fair to ever undermine that. I see the progress. I mean, the fact that I'm a woman of color who's in my position in itself is a sign of tremendous progress. Who's allowed to just mouth <laughs> mouth off all the time publicly and hasn't yet been c- killed. Um, I uh, I want to know how do we organize? And I would one say another? it's
2: progress for me as a white mm-hmm. woman to get to hear you. Yeah. You know, because that's how we learn, right?
1: That's something that I love about what you speak about, which is that you believe in women coming together face to face. And that's something that I want to talk about as well on this, because I think that that is truly, as you say, where true change happens is when we are together.
2: Mm-hmm. And we, we learn uh, about difference, and we also learn we're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the only way we 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 know that, you know, by... I mean, we've been sitting around campfires for hundreds of thousands of years telling our stories, and that's the way we learn, and that's the way we bond with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we know we, are, uh, we share our humanness.
1: And something else important that you said to me on stage that day at the Ace Hotel, wasn't just to me, it was to everyone, is think about who it is that you sit with. Think about the people that you have lunch with. Think about how diverse those groups are. Think about the stories that you're hearing and make sure that you're not just in your own echo chamber. And I think that's really important. And I think that's starting to change as we more and more introduce the concept of intersectional feminism. Um, And I know that something that you said to me in an interview is that it's not a matter, you know, obviously we have a still, we still. Depressingly have a slight racial divide in feminism where we have the, the quote unquote white feminism and then the rest of feminism. But there's no such thing. If I it's agree. white feminism, it's not, not feminism. feminism. Exactly. Mm. But but a lot of feminists feel as though feminism turns into an issue that is there but set out to you know, protect actually, white
2: people. But actually literally black feminists exactly. have always It's always been disproportionately black women. Ever since the first, I think I was quoting this when we were there together. Yeah. Ever since the first national public opinion poll of women on women's issues, there have been twice as many black women who said, yes, you know, I support the women's liberation movement and all the issues of equality as white women. Mm -hmm. So it's always been disproportionately black women. We saw it
1: with the Trump vote. I think it was ninety-three yes. percent of black women voted against Trump. Yes, ninety-six
2: percent, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah. Right. and fifty-one uh, percent of white, white women, women voted,
1: for voted Trump. pro. Uh, but what I was going to say is that in the conversation around like how do we bring all of feminist, how do we include women of color in feminism? Your answer was, which I loved. It's like we don't need to include them. They are where they it's are feminism. At. We need to join where they are at. Well, and we
2: need to join together. I exactly. Mean, That's what I the, mean. It's, it's say, not a
1: matter of bringing them in. They're already no, there. No, to They're say to be inclusive
2: gives, yeah. it sounds sort of as if white people had... The, yeah, yeah, patronizing, right.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate you for mm-hmm. that For that sentiment as someone who has only recently been able to break into traditionally white spaces of feminism and be accepted. And I think that
2: in no small part. What's a traditionally white space of feminism?
1: What I mean is within circles, within my industry, where they discuss these things, we have been segregated up until now by men. And, you know, made to fear one another, made to see differences in each other that don't really exist. No, and 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 we have
2: done it too. I mean, it Mm -hmm. isn't just that racism is around us, it's in us. Yeah, exactly. But
1: I think it's in no small part down to your work of... Constant inclusion and not just inclusion, including yourself, including others and and making sure that you stand on stage with women of colour, in, pati- in, in particular black women, black feminists, uh, who were the people that I guess you found the most like solidarity with at the beginning of your work.
2: Well, it, I learned yeah. feminism from, say, Flo Kennedy, who was a decade exactly. older than me, smarter, a lawyer, you and know, kind of your mentor, funnier. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and others. I mean, that's how I learned feminism.
1: And I appreciate that. And it's always been something that's that since you've said it, I've been very thoughtful about who I am sitting with at the lunch table. And I hope everyone listening to this will also have that in their mind as to how we create that change—it has to be from not only within us, but directly around us—and then together we are stronger as a force against the patriarchy. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, and we—it's—I it, it, I worry that it's—it's it's presented as um, difficult or almost a penalty or painful in some way, when actually it's joyful, it's fun. What is considered difficult or a penalty? That—that that people say. About uh, race relations, we have to have hard conversations. Mm. Who wants to have a hard conversation? No one, you know. But who wants to have a conversation in which you learn? Everyone. You know, and you get expanded mm-hmm. and you discover more of the world and more, I mean, everyone. So I I would emphasize the learning and the joy in it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm having to constantly learn. If anyone follows me on social media, they see me having to take a public L uh, or 10 every single week. But I enjoy learning. Sometimes it feels a little bit painful, but generally it's good. And I'm growing up as a human being. Okay, before we move on, I'm just going to go to a little break.
0: Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Mick crispy. So go ahead and hit the
2: turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Um, before you go, uh, so I have this movement called I Weigh. And I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but it's this movement I have. It's a social movement online against shame. And it's a million or so people who who submit posts about what they weigh as a person. And so it's like, for example, I weigh my financial uh, independence. I weigh my activism. I weigh my relationship with my boyfriend and all of my wonderful friends and the eating disorder that I've survived. And I was wondering if you would be able to tell me what you weigh.
2: I weigh my love of my age unexpectedly Mm -hmm. I did not expect to love being old Uh, it's great fun it's uh, sort of almost as much fun as being a child
1: it's sad how much women are told to fear it because I'm loving getting older today's actually my birthday oh what and
2: how old are you I'm turning
1: 34 oh
2: Gosh. I
1: think it's <laughs> fucking brilliant.
2: <laughs> so happy birthday. That's yeah. fantastic. I bless the day that you were born. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. <laughs> thank I'm you so women. glad that our paths got to cross. Same. Can I ask what you love about your age? Um, I love that I'm past the, you know, I think we're kind of free when we're children, mm-hmm. you know, up to, say, 10 or whatever. And then... Um, the kind of center of life comes down upon us, which means gender Mm -hmm. for for both males and females, I think, comes down at like 11, 12, 13. And it kind of doesn't leave you alone until after 50 or 60. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's fun and it's full of learning and all kinds of things, but still it is a role problem descending on you. And then after 60, you're free again. And all... (laughs) It's great. And all the part of your brain that has been up to then devoted to... Or distracted. Distracted is free for other things. It's great. It's absolutely wonderful. It's liberty. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, tell me another thing that you weigh. Uh, I I weigh my house. I weigh... Having, house that you having, bought? Having a nest, yes, a nest that I love to live in that I can invite friends to stay in and have meetings in, and, you know, I I weigh that. Um, uh, I weigh um, not having a job mm-hmm. because I don't have a schedule. I mean, I do, but I have to make it myself. Mm-hmm. Um I weigh my friends. Oh, I'm my chosen family. I love, I could not get along without my chosen family. Same. Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm going to say for you, you weigh uh, an extraordinary contribution to women um, over decades. And your work has moved me so much and helped me and soothed me whenever I feel like I can't carry on because sometimes the force against me can be so hard and so intense uh and the backlash and pushback is violent um and it is your words often that are in my head or videos that i've watched of you in moments of need that have carried me on and seeing how long you've been able to sustain this journey Gives me hope that I'll do the same, mm. and I will also well, love that's, being. That's older. a huge.
2: That's a huge reward for me. I thank you for that. I could not possibly want any better reward than that. And you can always hide out in my house.
1: <laughs> uh, i have a present for you actually that i'll give to you um i don't have it with me here today but uh, i will i will come and bring it to your house another day thank you so much for coming on to this podcast and uh i'm glad that we got to talk about abortion and sex work and all of the other cheery things that are going on in the world i'm so glad that this is how we've spent my birthday um i appreciate <laughs> no, you so it's a big
2: honor that's your birthday and i Would like to point out that we have ended on a really positive, in a positive place. And that's a good harbinger for your year to come.
1: Yeah, lots of love. Thanks, Gloria. Thank you so much for listening to this week's I I would also like to thank the team which helps me make this podcast. My producers, Sophia Jennings and Kimmy Lucas, my editor, Andrew Carson, my boyfriend, James Blake, who made the beautiful music you are hearing now, and me. For my work. At I Weigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at podcast at gmail.com. And remember, it's not in pounds and kilos. It's your social contributions to society or just how you define yourself in life. And now, we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners. I weigh my good relationship
0: with my parents. My ability to make people laugh, Um, being an empath, and wanting to dedicate my life to helping others. I weigh my health, my ability to menstruate. And I know I complain about it a lot, but it's something that I'm really proud of because then I'm able to have a baby when I get older. Um, And I weigh all my good friendships, my friends that make me laugh, that make me feel happy, and comfortable, and safe. I love you, bye.